Thank you. You guys brought a Bible, say yes. And then let me invite you to open it to Luke's Gospel, chapter 17 this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we've been going verse by verse through this gospel and uh, pretty fired up to get in verse, or chapter 17, rather, verses 1 through 10. So this morning, I'm going to start a topic basically entitled, Keep Your Eyes Open. It's going to go all throughout the entire chapter of chapter 17. And we're going to talk about keeping our eyes open, looking over our own hearts this morning. But then it also gets into the second coming of Jesus, where we'll keep our eyes open looking for his return. So very excited to get to that section as well. But Luke chapter 17, verse 1 through 10 in your Bible. If you'll stand with me in honor of God's word, let's take a look at what the Bible says. And this is Jesus speaking, so listen to him. Jesus said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It'd be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Verse 3, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he re repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you'd say this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve while I eat and drink. And afterwards you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Pray that it would uh, jump off the pages and into our hearts and change us, making us more like you. A very difficult, heavy passage, but I pray, God, that you would, with grace, administer it to the body so that we might grow in our maturity and God, we thank you for an opportunity to hear from you this morning. Now speak to every heart. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. So you can be seated. Well, the mission of the church as well as Concord is to make disciples everywhere. So it literally should be the heartbeat inside of your chest to see other people worshiping the Lord, reaching out with the gospel, uh, serving and growing in their faith. So that should be something that you and I love to see as well as love to be a part of. You know, the Bible teaches in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are a part of the ministry of reconciliation. As well, disciples of Jesus Christ must through not only seek to reconcile people to the body so that they can come into faith in Jesus Christ, but also we should seek to see in the body people maturing in their faith. So through love, we're called to help one another do just that. And the responsibility placed upon genuine followers of Jesus is not a light one. So you think about it this morning. You are to help others come to know Christ and help others mature in Christ. And that is a massive call upon your life as well as mine. I believe this is why Jesus gives his disciples and us a word of caution in Luke chapter 17. You see it there in verse 3, that first little phrase there. He's like, be on your guard. All right, strong terminology. Now, oftentimes when I'm studying the scripture, I have several different uh, translations in front of me. And here's some others that I got for you. ESV says it like this, pay attention to yourselves. KJV rolls it out like this, take heed to yourselves. New Living Translation, check it, so watch yourselves. 
Now, the phrase Jesus gives is one of continual action in the Greek New Testament. It literally means to keep on paying attention to yourselves. So this isn't like a one-time thing. This is a continual lifestyle deal. It gives the imagery of someone keeping their eyes wide open, continually examining your life and looking for character traits and conduct traits that actually are putting people off or away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says it like this, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So this describes the same activity Jesus is emphasizing. You and I, keeping a close watch, eyes wide open, aware of our inner man, our thoughts, our emotions, and our own personal desires. Now somebody's asking right now, well, why do we need to pay such close attention to ourselves? Why such fervor behind this concept of being on guard? Well, look at verse one again in chapter 17. He said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks Come. So you notice there in your Bible, you might want to circle that word stumbling blocks. All right, that's really just one word in the Greek New Testament. And that word is scandalon. It's where we get the English word scandal. And the term scandalon, it speaks of a trap, speaks of a sin, an offense, a snare, something that causes somebody to fall. In fact, this, the word scandalon is used throughout the New Testament. This isn't the only place. But in other places, it's translated a little bit differently. Just listen to some of the translations in the New Testament for the word scandalon. Uh, one is temptation. Uh, one is hindrance. One is obstacle. And then here in Luke chapter 17 and verse 1, it's a stumbling block. So Jesus is basically like this. It is inevitable, which simply means it's going to happen. It is inevitable upon this earth that traps Sin, hindrances, stumbling blocks, obstacles are going to occur. That is going to happen. Now, just so we're kind of all on the same page, you know, we've got some mountains around here. I know you guys have driven up probably on the side of the mountain or maybe walked up the mountain before. But I, I know that I have I've driven up the mountain and seen the sign, which basically says, watch for falling rocks. Have you ever seen a sign like that before? Looks just like this, which I love this sign. You got to look real close, but on the top of all those rocks is a cow falling. Y'all all right? So uh, that's a cool sign. Uh, you can buy that online, by the way, just letting you know. But anyway, so uh, neat sign there. And really what the sign is, just a warning. It's letting you know you're driving up the side of the mountain. Hey, listen, they're letting you know rocks are falling. And uh, we don't know where they're going to fall. We don't know when they're going to fall, but we do know they're going to fall. And some of them are going to fall on top of your car. Y'all all right? And so that is basically the imagery or the idea behind what Jesus Christ is saying here. He's saying sin, and you kind of picture the rocks, all right? Sin, obstacles, uh, stumbling blocks, temptations are going to fall off the side of the mountain. No one is perfect, so people are going to fall into sin. No place can escape the reality that we are living in a society where obstacles do actually exist. However, you notice the uh, warning of Jesus in verse 1. Look at your Bible again. He says it very quickly, but woe to him through whom they come. That is, uh, woe to the man. Now listen, because this is where you get the imagery. Y'all listening and say yes? That was like four of you. Y'all listening and say yes? So here's the imagery. He's like, woe to you who are kicking the rocks off the side of the mountain. 
That's the woe. And that word woe, by the way, it speaks of horror because of impending judgment. Now look at verse 2. He lays it out even further. It'd be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now, as soon as Jesus said millstone, everyone would have had a picture of a huge grinding stone that looked a lot like this. You see the picture behind me. That is a millstone. And through this millstone is basically a wooden rod. And most of the time, they would attach a donkey to it. And the donkey would just walk in circles. And then they would throw their corn and their wheat on the flat part. And the stone would crush it and do what it needed to do to get it ready to be Eaten. Now, it's pretty interesting. I had not seen this before, but you know, uh, in New Testament times as well as Old Testament times, the sound of the grinding meal in the village meant there were people actually living there. All right? It was a sign of life. But if you did not have the sound of the grinding wheel, it was a sign of desolation as well as death. In fact, listen to uh, uh, just something pretty neat here in Jeremiah 25 as well as Revelation chapter 18. It teaches that the absence of the constant sound of grinding was that sign of death. Now Jesus here in the text is speaking about this millstone in the sense that it would serve as a weight. Uh, he was basically like, uh, and this is strong. Are y'all with me say yes? So what I'm about to say is like, what? Jesus said that? He did say it. And uh, before I even tell you uh, kind of where this is headed, I will let you know that this message has already eaten my lunch personally. Are y'all with me on that? So like I'm reading, studying, getting ready to preach, and like, man, I, I'm thinking of all kinds of stuff in my life that need to be dealt with that could be stumbling blocks. And so, man, I'm not preaching this like I'm the one uh, who's got it going on. I am the one basically trying to, to run the race just like you are. So here's what Jesus says, and this is why it's so heavy, all right? Jesus is teaching it would be better for you to die prematurely than for your character or conduct to kick rocks off the side of the mountain causing other people to stumble into sin. It's almost as if he's saying, I mean, I don't know how else you can say it. It's like it'd be better to be dead than to be a distraction, that is a strong concept. You think about a millstone. This thing weighs hundreds of pounds. And Jesus is like, it would be better if a millstone, and again, everybody knew what that was, was tied around your neck and you thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Are y'all with me on the fact that's a strong statement? And so this is what Jesus is getting at. He's warning them then since it would be better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and you thrown in the sea than for you to cause someone to stumble, he's now saying, so you need to keep your eyes open and make sure you are watching out over your own heart so that you are not leading people into sin, not causing others to stumble. Now, as we study this text, we're going to find at the outset, or the intro rather, that the Lord really is elevating some things that we need to keep our eyes open for to make sure that these are not true in our life, because if they are, they potentially could cause people to stumble. So there's three things, so let's go ahead and knock them out. Y'all ready? Say yes. So here's the first thing. is like, keep your eyes wide open for bitterness. Keep your eyes wide open for bitterness. Now, we're going to see how this uh, is planted here in these verses. Look at verse 3. Again, he's like, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, uh, what's your Bible say? Yeah, let's get everybody on the same page. What does your Bible say right there? Forgive him. All right, now, as disciples of Jesus, 
Uh, we're supposed to watch over our own hearts. But the Bible also says because we are living the Christian life together in community, we're also watching over the hearts of others. All right, so we're looking out for one another's very best interest. That's what love does. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, but love looks out for the best interest of other people. Now, you got to think about this because Jesus is like, if your brother sins, then rebuke him. Now, the word rebuke is a uh, harsh word. Uh, simply just means to point it out, make it overwhelmingly clear that this here, bro, is sin. And you need to repent of it. Now, the Bible says, like, if he repents, forgive him immediately. Like, just pour it all over him. Uh, forgiveness. Great truth here. And uh, we see this, you know, taught throughout the New Testament. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul the Apostle says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one with a spirit of, listen, gentleness. All right? So it's not the idea of an individual who takes it upon themselves to become like the sin monitor in the church, walking around looking for people messing up so you can point at them and be like, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're... That's not the goal here. But it is in love that you watch out for people and whenever they stumble into sin, you lovingly confront them about their sin. Restoration is the goal. Paul the Apostle says, restore such a one with a spirit of gentleness. The word restore there is the same exact Greek uh, word used to describe the act of setting a broken bone. So somebody breaks a bone, what do you do? You take them to the nurse, the doctor, they put a cast on the bone to try to help them to be restored. So the same idea here in Galatians 5. He's talking about how we're walking in the Spirit, but some people stumble into sin. And so you and I, who are walking with the Lord and seeing this, we come to this brother or this sister, and we lovingly confront them with a desire to see them restored. So we're seeking to help them. And really, that's the goal, seeking to help them. So whenever you find someone, are y'all listening? Say yes. Now I'm preaching now. Y'all listening? So uh, here's the deal. You see somebody sinning in the body, here's what you don't do. You don't get on the phone and start calling everybody talking about their sin. That's called gossip. All right? You don't get people together in the church and be like, do you hear about so-and-so? Do you hear what they got going? Do you hear about their sin? Do you hear? That's called slander. All right? So you don't answer sin in the body with more sin. That doesn't make any sense. All right? So instead, what do you do? Lovingly confront. Go directly to that individual. Now, uh, it's taught all throughout the New Testament, so I'm going to share it with you uh, this morning. Uh, but it's very clear. Jesus talks about the fact that if a brother sins, you go to him. If he repents, you forgive him. But if he doesn't repent, you go with two or three more. All right, Matthew chapter 18. So then you go, you sit down with them in a spirit of gentleness, spirit of love, seeking to restore, seeking to help, and you explain to them, just like you, you would explain to a person who has a broken bone, here's the x-ray, you take the word of God, which is the x-ray, here's what the Bible teaches about this, here's the sin, here it is in your life, you need prayer, you need help, will you repent of your sin? All right. Now, very quick, let me add to this whole concept. Sin... Uh, described in the Bible is what is to be pointed out, all right? Not sin described by somebody's tradition. And that's how Jesus says, he's like, you guys here, y'all are teaching the traditions of men as if it, are the, it is the word of God. Don't do that, all right? So it's not like we go around with our pet peeves, what we just personally don't like and start pointing it out in other people. That's not what God calls us to do. But when there is biblical sin, so like the x-ray machine shows it clearly, 
It's like, all right, bro, here's what the Bible teaches. You know what the Bible teaches. Will you repent? Now, if he repents, forgive him immediately, release him, seek restoration in his own soul, and whatever parties have been damaged. But if he doesn't repent, well, what does the Bible say to do after that? So you've already gone to him once. He didn't pay no attention. You go with two or three, four, uh, two or three other people. He still doesn't pay attention. What now? The Bible says bring him before the church. And in doing this, uh, the goal is that the church would basically plead for him to repent. And if he repents, the church forgives, restored back into fellowship. But if he refuses to repent, it's like, no, still walking in sin, still going to do my own thing. And the Bible says, Jesus speaking, you treat him or her as a tax collector or sinner. Treat them as someone who is outside of the faith. They are to be, uh, to use a terminology that all of us will be aware of, excommunicated from the body. And that is a strong concept. Why in the world would you do that? Here's the deal. If that person is a genuine convert and they are removed from fellowship, God will use that ache in their own soul for communion with the brethren and the sisters in the body of Christ to draw them and to woo them back into repentance. Which I probably should throw in something free here. Y'all listening say yes? Those who are genuine converts love what Jesus loves. Jesus loves the church. Genuine converts love the church. So the absence of fellowship with the body uh, should be a disciplining factor in that individual's life, whereby hopefully, God willing, they would respond and return. But then there are some who would be removed from a church body and uh, does not bother them. And I would go straight to 1 John, where 1 John basically says it like this, those whom uh, went out from us were never of us. In other words, the reason they could roll out and it not bother them is because they were never genuine converts to begin with. Y'all don't want me to preach on this, do you? So just, just all Bible, right? So Jesus is saying to the disciples, you guys, somebody sins and they repent, listen, you forgive them. Now this is, this is wild, okay? This means that you and I, as a body of believers, should be, I mean, jam-packed with forgiveness. The, the most forgiving place on the planet ought to be the church. It's interesting, though, when you go into most churches, right? It's not the most forgiving place. It's the most condemning place, right? And so it's, instead of saying, hey, man, here is, you are condemned if you are under the law, but when you come into faith in Jesus Christ, there's grace there, there's forgiveness there, and so some people kind of get off on pointing out all the sin and never introducing the grace. But we've got to introduce grace, man. Grace is what sets people free. Jesus died so people could have their sins forgiven. He was resurrected so they could have brand new life. That's what we want to share. We want to help people in their walks with the Lord. So very, very important. Now, these disciples are listening to Jesus, and they're like any of us, right? We ba they're basically Bubba disciple. Y'all listening? So it's like Bubba. You know how Bubba thinks. He's like, what if they sin against me? I know you mentioned this general sin out here, but what if it's like personal and they sin against me personally? What should I do then? So Jesus rolls that out, verse 4. If he sins against you, y'all notice how he does that? Seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Now, 
This would have caused the disciples' mind basically to blow up because they weren't used to this kind of teaching. The teaching they were used to came from the rabbis. Here's what the rabbis taught in that day. If somebody sins against you three times, you can forgive him. If they sin against you four times, let it fall on them, man. Judge them however you want to. Treat them however you want. You ain't even got to look at them. Y'all like that preaching a little better too, don't you? But Jesus says, no, no, seven times. Then you start reading a little further. You find out over in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is like, I don't say to you, forgive seven times only, but listen to this, 70 times seven. What? That's 490. Don't hurt your brain, all right? 490 times. And what Jesus is doing is he is using a hyperbole. What is the word? I've said it wrong all too. Hyperbole. Thank you. God bless you. You rebuked me. I repent. You forgive. God bless, all right? There he is right in front of everybody, all right? What was it again? <laughs> hyperbole. I think I've said hyperbole the last two services and gotten in trouble both times. But anyway, so uh, what he's doing basically is saying that you and I are to live with a spirit of forgiveness toward other people. Now check this out. You who are followers of Jesus Christ have been displayed enormous amounts of grace. You and I have sinned, listen, not simply against another sinful person. We have sinned against holy, holy, holy God of the angel armies. That sin, by the way, massively greater. But those of us who know the Lord personally have been extended, listen, an amazing amount of grace. So how in the world can we walk around having received, I mean, loads of grace and not give it to other people? Now, we assault the grace of God when we choose not to forgive. We who have offended divine holiness, forgiven much, how much more should we forgive those who have offended us? Now, here's the deal that I see in the text, which is pretty awesome. That is, an unforgiving heart is actually a stumbling block to others' spiritual development. Did y'all hear this? An unforgiving heart is a stumbling block towards others' spiritual development. And somebody's like, uh, how does that roll out? Well, think about it like this. You ever been done wrong? That's a question for you, all right? So y'all answer that. Just shake your head at me. Have you ever been done wrong? Are y'all listening to me? I mean, that, shake your head at me. Have you ever been done wrong before? Like, if you're not shaking your head, just wait. You will be, all right? So it's going to happen. You think about it, right? There's a time in your life when you experience hurt from what another person said or what they didn't say or what another person did or what they didn't do. So you've got this grudge, right, uh, towards somebody else in your heart. Maybe it's a spouse. Uh, maybe it's a, another family member. Maybe it's a child. And so you've got this grudge maybe even in this church. Somebody in here has offended you or uh, somebody kind of rubbed you the wrong way, and so immediately, man, you just became a little bitter about it, got a grudge against them. Some people have a grudge about a past church, and so they come up to a, another church, and they visit, and when they come in, all they can talk about is what they didn't like about the church they came from. And it's interesting, too, because I, and y'all haven't done this, but I'm just sharing with you, y'all listening, but people come up to the pastor and talk about the other pastor, but how they didn't like him, and I'm thinking to myself, You'll be saying the same thing about me eventually. So they got this grudge, something in the past, some teacher said something, somebody at another church said something, and so as a result, they are angry on the inside. Some people, maybe even in the workplace, have this grudge growing up in their heart, this bitterness. Somebody started a false rumor about you. Uh, Somebody 
stabbed you in the back, you got looked over for the promotion, so you get a little ill about it in your heart, the root of bitterness begins to grow. Uh, you're angry, you toil with the same uh, situation over and over in your mind. Your bitterness affects how you think about other people too. It's interesting when you think about bitterness being a root that grows out from the heart. Think about it like a tree so that it grows out and then the leaves come of bitterness and they cover in front of your face. All right? So that every single thing that you see in life now is tainted by your own personal unforgiving bitter heart. And so then that's when people are like, uh, they start saying crazy stuff. Like, I'll never get close to another person again. Never. Been done wrong by one, never again will I open myself up to another person. Uh, they've been done maybe wrong at a church. And so they're like, I'll, I'll never serve in the church again. I was serving back there. Nobody liked me. Nobody talked about me. Nobody encouraged me. They didn't like how I did this. I'll never serve again. Bitterness. Or maybe you're like that at work. You're like, I'm not going the extra mile here. Why should I go the extra mile? These people don't care. Before you know it, that bitterness uh, leads to outward anger. You start finding people to vent to. Uh, your entire attitude's changed. Your outlook is soiled. Uh, you begin to speak in a hurtful manner. Think about it. You ever ran into somebody who's always rubbing people the wrong way with how they talk? Uh, they always seem to be extremely negative, extremely hurtful. And uh, it's amazing, you know, uh, everywhere they find themselves, uh, they're always negative about the situation. They always talk down about it. They're always thinking somebody's up to something, somebody's conniving, somebody's behind this. They're always paranoid about everything. Nobody should be trusted. It's like, stay away from everybody. Everybody's crazy. I got hurt once. This is the attitude, negativity. And as a result, when somebody comes now and tries to minister or hang out with them even, they speak hurtful things. And a great quote from John Maxwell that I read and has stuck on me uh, for quite some time, but it's very simple. Hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. The reason that some act the way they do is because somewhere along the line, they were hurt by someone else and they have held a grudge against them and not forgiven them. So you think it through because of their choice to not forgive and just to live in a negative and bitter life, they are actually affecting other people. Now, this is the thing. Now, everybody listen. Bitterness doesn't just hang out with you. Bitterness, in fact, has brothers who come in and hang out also. But listen to what Hebrews 12 and 15 says. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And check it. No bitter root grows up to cause trouble. Are y'all listening? Say yes. Now I'm, I'm asking y'all. Are y'all listening? Yeah? All right, so here's the deal. Make sure no bitter root grows up and causes trouble. And then the Bible says, and defile many people. So bitterness in our heart, if we allow it to stay there and to grow and fester it, and we tend to that plant, and we water that plant with our thoughts and our negativity and our anger, and it continues to grow, it will affect every person you come into contact with. It defiles many people. And like I said, bitterness isn't alone. Bitterness has some brothers who hang out with them. Have y'all met them? Paul talks about them in Ephesians 4 and 31. He's like, let all bitterness, and then here comes the whole runt of the litter, all right? Here's the rest of them. Let all bitterness and wrath 
and anger and clamor and slander and malice be put away from you. So you see the picture there, man, all of these things. Wrath is just intense fury that cannot wait to be unleashed. Anger is a desire to punish someone for what they've done to you or said about you. Clamor is always shouting and weeping about the situation. Uh, slander is uh, speaking down about another person, speaking in such a manner that someone else, uh, so as to cause the person listening to think less of the person that you are talking about. And then malice, it describes hateful feelings, all right? Now, sometimes uh, people are like, well, Levi, uh, how do you know so much about uh, bitterness? Because I have been bitter before. Y'all all right? 35 years old and bitter. <laughs> That's rough, ain't it? But I've experienced it. So as I'm riding through this, I can remember times where somebody has done me wrong and I just got a little ill about it, didn't deal with it, didn't offer up any forgiveness and just let a little bitterness come in. Before you know it, man, I didn't even want to look at them, talk to them, or hear their, if I heard their name, it kind of bothered me. Now y'all all look spiritual like that ain't never happened to you before. And then you realize very quickly, you find yourself negative, you find yourself a little ill about every single situation. And then everybody maybe who's in that same position as that individual who's done you wrong, you think that everybody's like that. And uh, it mess you up, man. You have these, uh, like malice, you know, I'm thinking about that. You know, malice is like these, these ideas, these hateful feelings. You ever daydreamed about somebody who did you wrong where you just walked up and beat them up? beat them down y'all y'all know what i'm saying like mma style right it's like you better tap bro all right y'all don't know what i'm talking about it's uh hitting each other all that's bitterness man it's bitterness and if it's not dealt with it affects you royally and it affects others too so if you're bitter the bible basically is saying don't be repent of it all right, so if somebody comes to you and they ask for forgiveness, listen, you give forgiveness. If they don't come to you and ask for forgiveness, you still give forgiveness. We live as believers with an attitude of forgiveness toward other people. So we're continually forgiving, 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 forgiving. Why are we so forgiving? Because we've been so forgiven. That's why. All right, so that's the first thing we're watching out for. And that went long. So here's the second thing they were watching out for. Keep your eyes open for doubt. Keep your eyes open for doubt. Now I'm going I'm to uh, speed through some of these. So I want you all to listen uh, quickly. But it's pretty crazy here. It's like uh, if you'd have just heard that, I think you'd have, I don't know, maybe you'd be like me. But, you know, if I, if I heard the Lord say, all right, you need to forgive people even if they do you wrong seven times. Forgive them. Keep forgiving. I'd be like, Lord, uh, help me be more loving. That would kind of be my prayer request. But that's not theirs. Their prayer request was, you see it there in verse 5, the apostles asked the Lord, uh, simply said, increase our faith. It's like, why in the world are they praying for increased faith? Uh, What are they getting at here? Well, uh, Warren Wiersbe notes it like this. Let me just give it to you quickly. Uh, Certainly love is a key element in forgiveness, but faith is even more important. It takes living faith to obey these instructions and forgive others. Our obedience in forgiving others shows that we are trusting God to take care of the consequences, handle the possible misunderstandings, and work everything out for our good and his glory. Mature Christians understand that forgiveness is not a cheap exchange of words, 
the way squabbling children often flippantly say, I'm sorry, to, but rather, listen, true forgiveness always involves pain. Somebody's been hurt, there's a price to pay in healing the wound. Love motivates us to forgive, but faith activates that forgiveness so that God can use it to work blessings in the lives of his people. You know, our ability to forgive people um, who have wronged us is a direct reflection to whether or not we are trusting God through the entire ordeal. Now, here's the thing, all right? And I love this, all right? Because, you know, the Bible talks about how Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are, yet he's without sin. So has Jesus been done wrong? Yes. Has he been treated unfairly? Without a doubt. Has he been accused, despised, rejected, slandered, gossiped about? No doubt Jesus has experienced all of that. Here's what Peter says about it, though. They hurled insults at him. He didn't retaliate. He suffered, but he made no threats. Instead, and here's the key, he entrusted himself to God the Father who judges justly. So Jesus, while upon the earth, while being unfairly treated, he entrusted himself to the Lord. So what is our call? It's like you're done wrong, I'm done wrong, what should we do? Entrust ourselves to the Lord. You, you think this kind of stuff has gone unnoticed by God? He knows what's going down in your life, what you're experiencing. He also knows how to handle it. So have faith in him to handle it. Now, y'all still with me? Say yes. Uh, here, here's where it kind of gets uh, crazy good to me, all right? Increase our faith, Lord. And then Jesus says, look at your Bible, uh, verse 6. Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, when I first read that, I'm like, okay, the apostle said, increase our faith. Now, Jesus is talking about mustard seeds and mulberry trees. I'd be like, Lord, what are you talking about? It's like, just help me. Forgive people. Let's <laughs> think about this. Why, why is Jesus speaking like this? Um, then, then it kind of dawns on me. You know, bitterness is described as a root in the scripture. The mulberry tree has one of the deepest root systems known to any living tree. So to uproot one was practically impossible. So here's the thought. You can't uproot bitterness apart from God. If you don't need more faith, you just need to exercise the faith you do have. Only a mustard seed size is needed. And by the power of the Holy Spirit within you, the root of bitterness can be uprooted and cast into the sea. Now, you know what's awesome about the Bible? I love how it all fits together, right? Just in harmony, man. It's like a song. Here's what Micah says over in chapter 7. He says, talking about the Lord, the Lord, listen, will cast their sins into the depths of the sea. So could it be that Jesus talking about throwing that mulberry tree into the sea is told them so that they might be reminded that in the sea is where God the Father has placed all of their wrongs. So trust in the Lord. Exercise faith in God's ability to handle the wrong that has been committed against you. And trust yourself to the Lord and watch as the power of the Holy Spirit uproots the bitter tree in your heart and cast the sin you are carrying right now into the depths of the sea where it belongs. Watch out for doubt. You know what doubt always says? Doubt always says, I'll handle this situation. So if you've been done wrong and you're like, I'll tell you what, I can't wait to get them back, get even. You're, you're doubting God. This is the, you can't please the Lord without faith. 
So entrust yourself to the Lord, walking with him, and let God handle it. He'll take care of it. Offer forgiveness. Can I give you all the last point real fast? Y'all look like y'all are thinking hard now. Y'all with me? Say yes. It is crazy, right? Because that's, that's the deal. It's like, why would we go around bitter and unforgiving? It's like, we've been forgiven, so just offer forgiveness. Somebody sins in the body and we see them sin, lovingly go to them and say, hey man, that's wrong. Here's what the Bible says. I love you. I want to pray for you. I, I want you to come back into right fellowship with God. And if they're like, I want that. Thank you for pointing that out. Then forgive them, forget it, and move on. But, but that's not how, that's like, we're not wired that way. We're wired to take the hit and keep it and grow bitter and hate people. <laughs> that's how we're wired. So we got to fight against that. And we can't do it apart from God, so we've got to have faith. Last deal here, keep your eyes open for bargaining with God. And uh, y'all saw that in chapters, uh, or verse uh, 7 through 10, where you've got the uh, servant and the master let me just kind of read through it again. He's like, which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterwards you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We've done only that which we ought to have done. Now, here's where I just call it keep your eyes open for bargaining with God. And uh, bottom line is that when a slave does what he's supposed to do, what the master told him to do, he shouldn't expect special treatment. That is, the servant does not bargain with the master because he's a servant. And you and I, as the disciples of Jesus Christ, are his servants. And Paul describes himself as a bondservant of the Lord. So what has the master told us to do? Masters, Jesus has called us to be forgiving towards those who sin against us. And like a slave who cannot bargain with the master, neither can we bargain with our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't look at Jesus in prayer and be like, Lord, I will give forgiveness to her. Lord, I'll give forgiveness to them. If you, you know, bring great uh, turmoil in their life, burn their house down, bankrupt their business, flatten all their tires. That's bargaining with the Lord. You ever played like that, by the way? You're like, Lord, I will if you. No. You and I are the servants. We're not the master. The master said, forgive. So we do it. Bargaining can also be like this. Lord, I'm going to forgive, but when I forgive this person, I want you to bless me. Pour out. I mean, just blessing upon blessing. Give me, give me, give me, bless me, bless me. No, nah, man, that's bargaining too. Forgive. <laughs> like you hear a message like this, I know uh, as far as uh, me hearing a message like this, I immediately began to look in the mirror, Right? It's like, Lord, what's going on? What, what's up in my life personally? And that, that's one thing I love about preaching and also one thing that's difficult about preaching. So uh, before I get up here and uh, preach a message, uh, the message is preached to me. <laughs> so I hear it and I feel like, man, I've got to repent. I've got to get these things right. I've got to get this right. I've got to work on this. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And... Um, I mean, that's the deal with you too. So we've learned some principles, and now you just need to pray it in. So you, you, I don't know if you've got this with you, but your listening guide, I put it in there, the pray it in side, right? So here's the deal. Don't just hear the message and be walking out of here going, yep, that's right. No, no, hear the message, 
Uh, yep, that's right, because it comes from the Bible. But then, Lord, how can I put this into practice in my life? Here's how we pray it in. These are prayers that I began to pray after looking at this passage. It's like, Lord, is there anything in my life that could cause others to stumble? Lord, is there any person that I need to forgive? Lord, help me to be a stepping stone for others, not a stumbling block. Y'all heard Jesus, didn't you? He's like, woe to you if you cause these little ones to stumble. Y'all look at me. Y'all listening? This is, this is words of Jesus. It'd be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the bottom of the sea than to cause someone to stumble. It does not pierce my heart anymore than to hear those words. So let's pray it in. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Nobody's looking around.